y'all are feeling today, but it's been a week. I think as a nation, it's just been one of those weeks that's been kind of hard to to put one foot in front of the other. If you were around me and a couple of other staff members here on Wednesday, we were all pretty short-tempered. Not with one another, but we were a bit short-tempered after hearing of the horror of what had happened the day before. The emotions have been swinging back and forth between rage and between sorrow, back and forth and back and forth. And even just getting on social media, it's been the, this crazy roller coaster of a ride. You've got this commentary and all these memes, at least on my feed, that are calling for gun reform. And then it's juxtaposed with all these friends who are posting these beautiful pictures of their children who are graduating from high school or who are moving up from eighth grade to ninth grade or who are graduating from kindergarten. And it's just been tough to live in that juxtaposition, to live in that tension and to try to process what all is happening in our world. I've been singing in my head my hard time song a lot this week. Some of you will remember I, I've talked about hard time songs before when, when tragedy strikes. It's one of these things that, that one of my beloved seminary professors talked about. He, talk, he preached in chapel the Friday after the mass shooting at Virginia Tech back in 2007 when 32 people were killed on that campus. And I remember when he got up to preach, his name was Bishop Woody White, he got up to preach and you could hear a pin drop. Anytime Bishop White got up to speak, you could always hear a pin drop because that's how revered and how respected he was. This was a gentle giant of a man. He had this humble temperament and he wasn't one that, that would necessarily raise his voice, but, but when he spoke, he spoke with conviction and you wanted to hear every word that he said and just let it sink in. And some days I would be processing for days and days afterwards. Bishop White was the first African-American bishop in the United Methodist Church. And he had experienced his own fair share of hard times. He'd been one of the freedom riders during the civil rights movement. And so I'll never forget the day when I was sitting in class. It was a class called Church and Race. So we were already struggling in the tension of the, the racism that's, that's systemic within our own denomination and, and also within our world and I'll never forget the day that he began to tell his story of being a freedom rider. He had ridden the bus down south to Mississippi with his team, and they had gone to a church that didn't allow black people to come in and to worship with them. They would go in teams of four or five people to these different churches, and a couple of them, black folks would go in to kneel at the altar and pray to challenge the, the status quo of that church. And a couple more people would wait outside to call for help if these folks got arrested that day. And when I say call for help, they couldn't call the authorities. They would call their attorneys to then work to get them out of jail wherever it was that they took them. And that day, it was no surprise to Bishop White as he came in and as he knelt at the altar rail that, that he was arrested. But as he told his story, the thing I'll never forget is him saying, the one thing that I didn't account for, the one thing that I didn't expect in all of this was the moment that they put me in that police car. I hadn't anticipated that they would separate us and put me in that car all by myself. And I remember thinking in that moment, they could take me anywhere, they could do anything to me, 
and no one would ever know what happened to me. Bishop White was a man who had seen very, very hard times. And so that day in chapel, he began to talk about all the hard times that we face throughout our lives. And in the midst of that, he offered each and every one of us present that day, he offered us comfort. He explained to us that it's okay to feel what we feel, to let yourself feel that and not try to bottle that up inside. It's okay to cry out to God in rage and in anger, asking why. Why is this happening? Where are you in the world right now? It's okay to have the same song on loop in your head day after day after day, that hard time song, as you process what it is you're experiencing. Bishop White said that he had a hard time song and that we should too. Paul and Silas, in the book of Acts, we see them fall on hard times in today's scripture, but we see them fall on hard times over and over again. Paul is beaten numerous times. He's put in prison numerous times. And yet Paul, in the midst of it all, he stands firm in his faith. I imagine that he relied heavily on those hard time songs. We even hear in today's scripture that they were singing songs in the darkness of that jail as they were praying and as they were worshiping God. If you recall last week's scripture, Paul and his companions, they had come over to Macedonia led by the Holy Spirit. Macedonia is present-day Europe, and they had been led there by the Spirit to go to the town of Philippi. And in last week's scripture, Lydia converts to faith. It's this beautiful story of them finding her down at the place of prayer, of finding her down by the water, and of her whole household, not just her, but her whole household, converting to faith in Jesus Christ. It almost felt like a happily ever after kind of story as we ended it. But today these verses follow right after that. Paul and Silas are preaching in and around Philippi trying to spread the word of God. And this slave girl with this spirit of divination begins to follow them around. We don't know where it is that, that they picked her up in Philippi, but, but she begins to follow them around. And, and she doesn't just follow them but everywhere they go, she shouts out ahead of them, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. Can you imagine somebody following you around or even walking in front of you, shouting that out ahead of you? At first, it might seem like it's pretty good PR. But after a few days, Paul starts to get a little bit annoyed. Maybe she shouts it before they have a chance to speak. Maybe it's like she's telling the punchline before they get to tell the true story of salvation so that nobody wants to listen to them because they think, well, these just people are just trying to proselytize us. Maybe she's like this little gnat that just keeps dive-bombing your face and you just want to get rid of it. She's got to go away. Whatever the reason was, she followed them around for several days before Paul cast out the spirit within her. We don't know why it was several days before he did it, but finally he gets fed up after a while of her shouting that out ahead of them, and he casts out the spirit. And it's in that moment that the you-know-what hits the fan. They have done something that has rocked the status quo. They have disturbed the peace of Philippi in that moment. Paul's taken this slave girl, and he's essentially emancipated her. 
He's emancipated her from the, the spirit within her, but he's somewhat emancipated her from her slave owners because they no longer have a source of income coming from this girl who was essentially telling fortunes and making them a fortune in money. So they trump up these charges against Paul and Silas, and they start telling the authorities, these men, these men are trying to pervert our Roman customs, and they are trying to pervert our beliefs, and they are trying to mess up our entire system. They're breaking the law by trying to get us to follow customs that are counter to the way of the Roman authorities and the Roman rule. And of course, the authorities believe them, and so they strip them down, and they beat Paul and Silas, and they flog them, which is a very painful thing to do to them. And then to top it off, they don't just send them to jail, but they have the jailer fasten their feet with stocks. This would have been very uncomfortable to the average person who hadn't been beaten or flogged, but for somebody who's been beaten and flogged, the stocks would have rubbed against their raw skin. Their bodies would have been hurting and aching, and then they couldn't move well enough to get comfortable in any position as they sat there in the depths and the darkness of the jail. But what's amazing about this story is instead of wallowing in the pain, they begin to pray and they begin to sing. They begin to sing those hard time songs. Amazing grace, abide with me. Think about that, the darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Maybe they hit those high notes of how great thou art when they began to sing the chorus of then sings my soul my Savior God to thee. And as they sing and as they pray, the other prisoners there in the jail are listening to them. They're soaking it all in. They're hearing the message of Christ and coming to know him more fully. Paul and Silas are disturbing the peace of that jail because they come and they offer a new kind of peace. They offer a different peace that goes against the status quo of the day Essentially, they're stirring up the good trouble that John Lewis always talked about. And in that moment, this amazing supernatural thing occurs. This earthquake shakes the foundations of the jail. It shakes the foundations of Philippi. It shakes the very foundations of that jailer who had put them there and bound them. And it breaks those chains that bind them, literally. And imagine their songs growing quiet as they're a bit in shock at what's just happened. This earthquake has rattled them. It's broken their chains. Their gospel singing is silenced for a moment. And maybe they're sitting there waiting to see, okay, what's going to happen next? Is there going to be something else to follow up this earthquake? And then they hear that ragged breathing of the jailer who thinks that they've probably escaped. They hear him unsheath his sword as he's about to take his life, and they call out to him, we're all here, we're all here, don't harm yourself, come and hear the word of God. And in that moment, that jailer puts his sword away, and the light of Christ has dawned on him, just as he brings the actual light into the jail to see that they're all there. The jailer comes to faith, He's baptized that day. His entire household 
is baptized, all because Paul and Silas were not afraid to disturb the inadequate peace of the status quo. They have offered him and those that are gathered with him that new sense of peace, that deep abiding peace that comes with knowing our risen and our living Savior. Disturbing the peace, it can be a lot of work. It can be difficult. It can be a bit of a daunting task when you stop and think about it. I know some days when I I look at the world, I hear the headlines, or just in my daily life, I feel overwhelmed and think, what kind of a difference can I make? We see Paul and Silas continuing to do that, put the effort forth, because it does take commitment, and it does take perseverance. We know that sometimes disturbing the peace means that we're going to be ignored. Sometimes it means we're going to be resisted. Sometimes it means that we're going to be persecuted for what we believe. But most importantly, it takes persistence. Sometimes we're going to get it right, and we have to keep persisting in that. And sometimes along the way, we're going to make mistakes as we keep trying to help others to know the love of Christ. Paul's treatment of the slave girl was a little bit of one of those mistakes. The slave girl annoyed him, but how he treated her was hardly commendable. He could have handled her a lot differently. He could have offered her more dignity and more respect. Even though it had a good outcome, it's still a little bit questionable at times. But in the end, he corrects that as he seeks to bring others to Christ. We're all, as followers of Christ, called to disturb the peace, called to challenge the status quo. If you look at those early apostles, because they were doing that, they turned the whole world upside down. Bishop White, that day in chapel 15 years ago, he told us one more thing that day before we left to go on our way. He said we have to act. We have to act for a better world. Yes, we need to feel our feelings. Yes, we need to have that righteous anger. But we also have to work for a better world by meeting hate with love. Not meeting hate with hate, but meeting it with love. For some, that may be writing and challenging our lawmakers For the others that may be serving through our church, for still others that may be having those difficult conversations with our co-workers or our friends or our disagreeable loved ones. Whatever it is that we face, at the end of the day, we are called to lift our voices in that resounding song for a new peace. We are called to lift our voices in a resounding song of a peace that is tempered with justice and with love. Amen.